Welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education, a podcast that focuses on what is happening in education today, connecting everyone to the movers and shakers that are breaking boundaries in the education arena. Welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education. Jamie and Jerry are here to for another amazing conversation. You know, Jerry, when I email schools, I try to figure out the right time. I try to figure out, you know, sometimes people answer at certain times of the day and sometimes their, yes. their emails get, you know, bogged down by tons at the same time. So I try to navigate that. I try to bold things in my subject. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. And I need some tips on how to best communicate with people who are just, they're busy with things and I get it. I know I'm not being ignored, although I think sometimes I'm being ignored, but I want to figure out the best way. And we have a great guest today to teach us. We do. So Jamie, let's just go to the top. Let's go to Todd Rogers, who is a Harvard professor. And he is a behavioral scientist. He is also the lead in everyday labs, and he's working to help school districts reduce absenteeism. And this is done through communication, which is, I think, key. And then he is also advising school districts and city councils on how to communicate effectively. Now, I know every single district I have been in, whenever you do some kind of survey, Parents, teachers, everyone says the biggest problem we have here is communication. And I know that being in all of those roles from teacher to superintendent, I always thought I was communicating well, but evidently we're not. And I had the privilege of listening to Todd speak twice, once in person and the second time virtually. And I was so intrigued with his message that uh, came back and said, Jamie, we have to get him on the podcast. So without further ado, Todd, we welcome you to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education. Thank you, Jerry. and Thank you, Jamie. It is great to be here and I'm looking forward to having a good conversation with you. Uh, We're going to have a great conversation. So as a behavioral scientist at Harvard, whoa, (laughs) tell us, what do you do? What is that? Was there a question mark after the whoa? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So behavioral scientist just means I study the science of behavior change. And I, that borrows liberally from all sorts of disciplines, from psychology to economics, behavioral economics, sociology, education, political science. And basically, what are the, the most powerful tools for um, helping people be more effective when they communicate, but also follow through on the things they intend to do? And so I worked for a while in voting uh, on how to increase voter participation about 10 years and worked in politics. And, uh, and then for the last 11 years, it's been entirely about how do we develop interventions to help families help kids outside of school. And they are all ultimately communications interventions. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what have been some of your findings as you've studied behavior and communication? Communication, I think, is the toughest piece. It's the most important piece, right? Everything falls apart. Communication is not there. And sometimes we overlook it because it seems so natural. Of course, we're going to communicate, but and we're going to pass that off. But 
Are you doing it, you know, as often as you should or too often? I mean, there's so many, there's so many different techniques that need to be considered. Um, and we think we're doing a good job. But I think when you unpeel things, you realize lots need to be done. I love that, Jamie. I think you're totally right. So like in one sense, everything is communication mm -hmm. in that we there's no way to commute. There's no way to deliver something to people without it ultimately being some interface between the thing itself and the person encountering it and interpreting it. Um, I, I often think like uh, people in education, especially sometimes talk about modes of communicating like they are an intervention. Uh, I was working on a paper called texting is not an intervention mm. where texting <laughs> is a texting is a mode of communicating. Yes. And whether it is effective or not depends on who's sending it, what it says, when it's received, who receives it, what it's about. And, and ultimately, like that, all of that is the content. But the modality of delivering information is not itself an intervention. I feel like people often act like, uh, oh, we're emailing or texting. Like that itself is some kind of communication. The communication is what is contained in those modes of communication. Right. I just wrote that down. Yeah, I didn't end up writing the paper because I'm kind of I'm kind of lazy. And so I like I, I outlined it. I was had a collaborator. We were, were sketching out. It was just going to be provocative. Texting is not an intervention. And then we had a really great outline. I could share it with you. But unfortunately, I'm never going to write it. <laughs> oh, maybe you'll get back to it now. <laughs> There's so many more important things right now, like the things we're going to talk about, Jerry. Right. But it is interesting because everyone has their favorite way of communicating. Like mm -hmm. for me, I do prefer texting because I think it's short and concise and it gets to the point. I prefer that over emails. But um, so a few years ago I had, uh, we started a virtual school and we found that we couldn't communicate with parents. They, I mean, they were not responding. We're not responding. When teachers started texting parents, they started to respond. So I guess it, it's the person. And, um, and that was just the mode that worked then, but that was 10 years ago. But, so. but it wasn't, I mean, it was the teacher of the school, the teacher of the student communicating yes. with the parent. Like there is mm -hmm. no better communicator right. than a personal communication from the person who spends the day with your kid, caring for your right. kid. So like text was the modality. It could have been an app. It could have been literally handwritten uh, like postcards and You're it would have right. been effective because it's ultimately right. the teacher. We, um, but, but when we think about modality, which is not something I think Jerry, as we were sort of walking through what the outline for this, uh, there is something like with modality that I think is really interesting. Uh, what you want is the mode of communicating to match the kind of action being requested. And so I've done a lot on reducing student absenteeism, which is why we started outside of my Harvard lab. We spun out a separate organization to scale up the absence reduction interventions. The, the organization is called Everyday Labs. And uh, one of the things that we've learned is that communicating, we could talk about the content. It's all very like tested and psychological. But that the most effective modality for the communications we have on absenteeism is printed mail. It dominates text, it dominates email. And one of the reasons is because uh, we have way better coverage. So for those of you who work in schools, and I know ClassLink would know this, that the digital, the valid digital contact information for the lowest performing and most disadvantaged kids is really poor. Uh, the coverage is really bad. Even though you have a number 
it's often not valid and you don't get feedback on it, or even email address. It's often not valid. You don't get feedback on it. Um, so you think your coverage is greater than it is. One is coverage. But the other reason is because um, when you're trying to chain increase attendance, if I text you and say exactly what I would send in hard copy, but I, you know, something to motivate you to reduce absenteeism text, you consume it and then it disappears. And text is, we've shown lots of great research where like, if you text saying your kid didn't turn in their homework today and you get the text at 5 PM, the kid turns the homework in the next day. There's an immediate action that you're prompting the moment the, the communication is consumed. But if I'm saying in general, your kid misses one day every two weeks, please miss less. And you, I texted, there's no immediate action. So the modality is not very well conducive to the to a behavior that it spans over time. We call this in behavioral science, how do you bridge time? So like I'm communicating now and the behavior we're focusing on occurs in the future. So you need some strategy for bridging time between the moment of the, of the communication and the behavior. So what we find with hard copy is the vast majority of families, if it's interesting and useful to share, and that's not making it entertaining, it's making it useful, uh, parents put it on the fridge. They put it on the kitchen counter. It becomes, the phrase we use is it becomes a social artifact in the home. And, oh, and, when, sure. and when the challenge, and when the challenge is to bridge time, like just digital stuff is really, really bad at that, but it's awesome for something right now. Like your yeah. kid, uh, your, your kid skipped class th today. Like it turns out parents are pretty good at making sure that doesn't happen tomorrow. Right. And, and if you mm -hmm. alert them of it, they're good at it. But like your kid misses one day every two weeks and you send it on a Tuesday at 5 p.m. Like it's just not it's so the, so the, the modality should match the objective. Yes. And do you think that getting mail in the mail seems more has more authority, maybe? It's, it's it's awesome. That's such a great question because one of the things that really so I, we work with a lot of the large districts around the country. Everyday Labs does to reduce absenteeism district wide, and they have very large, really tragically high fraction of students who are experiencing homelessness. And one of the things that has been surprising to these districts and to us is that the um, that the students experiencing homelessness mail is often the best modality to reach them at because families keep the US Postal Service updated. There's a national change of address clearinghouse where they tell the Postal Service where to forward it. All official communications from the city, state, and federal governments go through the mail. And so they keep it updated and they actually collect their mail. Whereas cell phones, you know, if you don't pay the bill or you can't pay the bill, they often, you have to get a new phone. Email address, I don't, I don't really understand the life cycle of an email address very well but it, it doesn't appear to be as well, as effective. But hard copy, families experiencing homelessness are particularly attentive to keep making sure there is a forwarding address through the US Postal Service, the National Change of Address database, so that federal, state, and city communications, which are all the official important communications, are all sent through mail, so they are collected. And so- That's the, interesting. The, mm -hmm. It is, right? It's yeah. counterintuitive. Yes, yes. It is. <clears throat> Absolutely. I love this research, you know, so so basically what we're saying then is that you really need to think you have to have know what your reason is, know your why. And that is going to help drive your decision making for 
the best way to communicate. Um, and then I, lo I love that concept of bridging time. That makes so much sense, right? The immediacy is going to be, sure, if you need something done for tomorrow, make sure that's a text and that's going to be the best way. Um, but I, you know, and you made me think too about mail. It does. So when you get a mail about a board meeting coming up or something important, it does. It goes on the refrigerator or it goes in my, you know, I, I put it in the calendar, but I also kind of keep it in a special little section so I can share it with everyone, right? It's a little bit more visible. It's tangible. Um, and it doesn't just get piled on with, you know, everything else. It has a special place. I like that. It's, a, it's never really thought about that because I felt like, you know, perhaps mail was kind of going away, but it is the important things that stick out. It's accessible to everyone that way because you mentioned some families may not have um, email or digital access, right? So that access issue is taken care of. Um, you pointed out even those who are homeless, well, they're getting it too. Um, and then it just becomes more sustainable because it does bridge that time. Yeah, one other interesting, one interesting, so like a version of thinking about mail is like, okay, it's hard copy that is delivered through the postal service. You could think hard copy delivered through the child. Uh, oh, and, okay. and you both have been classroom teachers and, and district leaders like, it turns out not everything put in the backpack gets to the parents. No, no. It's either buried in the backpack or somewhere in the folder. Or right. Like. Yeah. I, um, I, I, we, a, a collaborator of mine did, did this very cool, uh, like framework for thinking about like friction between kids mm. and parents. Mm. And it's not, and it's not just, Oh, we did. We actually, yeah, we did. Actually I did it. I never, he did it. He developed this framework, but I actually did the study with him. We were, I'd forgotten <laughs> about this. We, we did a study where we, this is, we never wrote this one up too. Oh my God. I didn't realize this is turning into just like various, various illustrations of my laziness and lack of follow through. I'm sorry. We did, we did this, um, this really cool study where we gave kids five bucks, high school kids. And we said, um, the money's yours, but just so you know, the test you're going to take in a week, we're going to call your parents and tell them how you do on the test. Okay. So you, we gave you five bucks and it's yours, but, and we're going to call your parents and tell them uh, how you did no matter what. But if you give us the five bucks back, we won't tell your parents how you did oh. on the test. Meaning you can prevent us from telling your parents information about what's going on in school. And something like 25% of kids gave us the five bucks back. Like, don't tell my parents. And like, just to illustrate like the friction, friction. not all yes. information is getting back to parents. Whoa. Oh that my gosh. Terrific. That was, that was revealing for sure. I should Absolutely. dig that one out. I like that one. I'd forgotten about that one. We didn't, we didn't end up, we didn't end up, we didn't end up publishing that one either. Shoot. <laughs> All right, now we're giving you a to-do list, Todd. That's we, have, right. we have your publication to-do list, and we're going to follow yeah. up with you. We're going to give oh, you five dollars. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you keep your five bucks. Don't follow up. There you go. Oh. <laughs> well, Todd, I, I want to ask you a question. You know, we've talked about mode of information, mm -hmm. but what about the content? I yeah, believe that sometimes we do all this educationese talk with all these acronyms, and I wonder if people even understand what we're talking about. If you're not in education, I mean, does that matter? Uh, that is what I I focus the most on right now, which is basically what is the the science of how do we 
the science of writing so busy people will read and respond. Mm. And it turns out that behavioral science across all the fields, but especially psychology, <laughs> cognitive psychology, social psychology, and behavioral economics has a lot to say about the principles for how do we write so busy people read. Mm. Um, and I'm actually, the, the first principle is fewer words. It's it's so like we've done tons of these randomized experiments. So like think about the vaccines, the clinical trials where they have a treatment group and a control group. We do all these experiments where one group gets a long version. Like I, I did one with a national Senate campaign uh, where they sent a six paragraph fundraising email to 600,000 people and half of them. We just deleted arbitrarily every other paragraph. So it didn't even, it wasn't even coherent anymore, but it was three paragraphs instead of six. And then we looked at what happened to donations and it was, they raised more money, 20% more money with the, with the incoherent one, but shorter. We did, we did, we did other ones where um, I worked with a big organization that has this big mailing list where they want people to click and read stuff. And they wrote their best. They sent it to me and I said, okay, now cut it in half. And and they had their, and then we did an experiment. They cut it in half. They, and obviously it takes a lot of time to write concisely. There's this famous quote by Blaise Pascal, often attributed to Mark Twain, uh, that I would have written you a shorter letter if I'd had more time. More time. And, yes. and, and so, so what we did was that they, they wrote it themselves. They cut it in half versus the original. And the, when they cut it in half, it doubled the clicks, the people clicking through. Wow. Um, so the first principle is fewer words. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's so central that I thought that the best way to convince people to use fewer words was to write a long book about it. So I'm working on a book about it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> that's but good. The, but that's good. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that's, yeah, go, go ahead. Jane. No, I was just going to ask, so your mode and then the content, and is there a difference between, you know, the content and the presentation of it? Is there... Is there something that should be done with respect to how it's provided as well? So there, there are several more principles that we can talk about later. Fewer words is not the only one, it, but it's probably the most important. Yeah. But you're asking an important question where, like, I, I write an email to you, and mm -hmm. it is three paragraphs. And my least favorite part of, of communicating is when people bury the question in like the third paragraph oh, yeah. through the third paragraph. <laughs> and like, I don't even, I, I'm not, I'm not going to read right now the four paragraph email. I, um, but I do want to, I also, I know that you're, you, I'm going to get back to the, how you frame it. But uh, my wife reminds me, it's not just about being more effective when you write with fewer words, you write in a, you lower the reading level so it's more accessible, you make it so that it's structured so it can be skimmed. There's a bunch of other principles. It's not just more likely that people read and respond. It's also just kinder. If it would have taken Respectful, them four minutes. right. Yeah, if it would have yeah. taken four minutes and now yeah. it takes one, you're just saving them time. And if, and the other way of framing it is going from one to four. You're, you're wasting their time because you weren't willing to put the time in to edit it down. Um, Addition, additionally, it's also just more accessible. Like the average reading level of an American head of household is ninth grade reading level. We learn to write well, but that's different than writing effectively. Yes. And we, you know, our sentences may be three lines long with, with parentheticals right. and clauses and really impressive erudite vernacular, but simple words will do. 
<laughs> right. Yes, I um, think simple words are better. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But 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 Jamie asked this question about like how do we frame it? And and there is a trade-off. Like you're not wrong. I think your intuition is 100% right that like if I cut my it's dear parent we're so grateful for all that you for yes. sticking with us and it's yes. been a hard year and we know that, that everybody's trying their best. Uh, thank you. Your kid's great. Uh, please show up for parent teacher conferences next week. Right. Like you, you would have a, like you, you have a relationship and you're trying to build trust mm-hmm. and you're trying to convey respect. Uh, but you're also wasting their time. And so there are, there is a trade-off where sometimes cutting words doesn't have the human courtesies means cutting some of the human courtesies. It's not necessarily the case that conciseness requires discourteousness because you could say, we know it's been a hard year. Thanks for sticking with us. Please show up for parent teacher conferences instead of four lines of it. Right. So like, but like I, I worked with a large district, um, one of the, we'll say one of the 10 largest districts in the country that I'm not sure if we're allowed to say who, who it is who did this big experiment where we were texting to get the, over the summer to get all their families to respond to a survey about summer school. Mm-hmm. And what we found was that adding the sentence, we know it's been a hard year. Um, thank you for participating. And, and we are trying our best and we know you are too. Then please fill out the survey. And it was a text message. Adding that sentence decreased response rates. Decrease them. Yeah, because people skim even even text messages. Everyone's everyone's busy, but it but what the what the district decided was that's worth it. Like it's mm. more important that the, that the families know that we respect them and are trying to honor their kid and them, than that we increase response rate by some percent. I got gotcha. you. Know, and so they're trade offs. Yeah. Okay. So they, so building, so they're looking at not just their why, but also prioritizing, like building relationships, it was up there. So they really needed to include that sentence, even though they were risking people not reading it uh, because they needed to, and instead of setting two separate, they wanted to put it into one. So they led with that. Thank you. Thank you. And then went into the good stuff, still concise, still concise, still respectful, but putting in those two priorities. I gotcha. Yeah, it's great. Jamie, you nailed it though. Not two, but one, because what we also did was we yeah. did an experiment. When we separate them out, even using formatting of text helps where that same problem right. they had, when we, we added all the not, all of the sentences other than please fill out the survey in the top message, then we send, then we cut that last sentence, please fill out the survey to be a second message, allowing basically the visual formatting yes. of text. Yes. To emphasize the fill out of the form of the of the survey, but also conveying the other respectful, human courteous mm-hmm. content mm-hmm. that 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 was better than adding them all in one message, right? And right. so, like using using the formatting to pull out the action to be taken. Right, right, right. The action. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've I've been actually playing with that a little bit because when I you said exactly it. I'll I'll write something and then I'll be like, uh, there's too much stuff on here. So then I'll again, it takes more time. And then I pull stuff out that is not necessary, but then I feel like I still just want what I want and I want them to give it to me. So I need to figure out how they're going to see what I want. So I bold things or bullet or both. And then that way they see those three words. Okay. Now, I don't know if that's gonna be helpful or not because some of the message might get skipped, but I know that 
everyone's so busy. So at least they'll see these things. Is that a trick? Is that helpful? Or is it going to be um, something less? Am I going to not get the results I want? You, you look, Jamie, you've already anticipated several of the studies that we've run. Okay. Uh, so I probably should have just thought, let's talk after this. Tell me what okay. the other hypothesis I'll join your study. Tested are. <laughs> uh, the, because exactly what you said, highlighting and bolding, yeah. people, readers interpret as signaling what the writer thinks is most important. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? right. Exactly yeah. like you thought. And so when you highlight or bold, readers jump to that. We actually have these studies where they visually, they just jump to that Mm -hmm. and then they Mm -hmm. just try and sense make around it. They don't read linearly. They jump and then they write. But, and so it is when you highlight or bold something, people are more likely to get to do or understand exactly what you highlight and bolded, but they're also less likely to read everything else. Right. And so we've actually, we've actually shown that when you highlight or bold one thing, you decrease the reading of everything else, which is like a trade-off that we often mm-hmm. are fine with, mm-hmm. uh, but so, so it's why you need to be judicious in right. what it is that you're directing attention to through this formatting. Cause sometimes we, if we're not careful and we don't know what the most important thing in our message is, right. then we'll bold or highlight the wrong thing and not yes. and mm-hmm. derail. That's, and that's, yeah. And I worry about that too. And then I guess also, you know, learning styles come into play too with, with what personal preference is. So you kind of have to reach everyone in some way, which I think is probably tricky too. Yeah. It, um, the, the way that I have worked with school districts to do it is because uh, I don't know what's important. And honestly, these messages are often written partly by lawyers and partly by superintendents and principals who are concerned about the politics of it. So it's not just about effectiveness. It's both effectiveness plus CYA. Uh, and and so all the like think about the COVID disclosures and mask rules and whatever, like you could just convey them in two sentences, but instead they're long essays. Uh, the at minimum, you just want to make it navigable to someone who's racing. So everyone is skimming. And so what we've done is in, like, you can have all the content you want, but put headings and make it like, so they can jump around. If it's a, if it's a seven paragraph email and there's only two ideas in it, then like put a heading, it says idea one. And then the core content, maybe even indented idea two, all of it's in there and make the first sentence clear below. We talk about idea one and idea two this action needs to be taken. And then you, so you basically, the the idea is right for skimmers, make it navigable for skimmers. We call that chunk and chew in teaching. A lot of times just chunk it, chew up that little piece, chunk it, chew up that little piece. Yes. And it's, it is good. You know, I've worked with some people though, that get mad if someone highlights or bolds things because they say, yes, they say, don't they think I know what the important thing is? Mm. Personally, I like it because I like to just look at it and see, but I have worked with some people that really get offended by that. So Todd, we have to think of all of these things. It's very complicated. Yeah, and I do I do it for the other person, but I also do it for me so that when I look yes. back at that message, I can see what the deliverable should be and what I need from that because it's helpful. Oh yeah, that was the point of that. When I'm going back and trying to circle back and get, you know, you know, yeah, I personally like it, but I've worked with several people that do not like that. So. I can see that. Yeah, that's can see really that. that's really interesting. I 
you know, I, I still think it's, it's worth it, but you have to make your own trade-offs yeah. a, right. a way to get a way to get around that is to just structure it so that it's formatted without bold and, and highlighting. It's just structured in sections. There so you go. Skin, the idea. So the, this idea of, of make it navigable uh, to skimmers was partly inspired by a study that some friends of mine ran with the New York city police department where they give citations, 350,000 citations a year where you're supposed to show up in court. And 50% of people don't show up. And if you don't show up, it leads to this terrible cascade of contact with law enforcement uh, and disproportionately hurts black and brown families in New York. And so what, what these guys, and the, the thing is called a citation. And the first couple lines is the police officer. The second couple lines is the offense. And then down the bottom is like what you're supposed to do. They just rewrote it. And they said, criminal court appearance ticket. And then they said, you need to show up here at this time on this date. This is the, this is the offense. And this is the officer just basically rewrote it. So a skimmer could figure out what the point was. And they pretty dramatically reduced failures to appear in court, which just like prevents it's good for everybody. Uh, it's the and, purpose and so, and your why at the top. I mean, it goes back to that. It really makes much more sense. Like, what what is it that you want them to do? Don't bury it. Put it at the top, and then they can panic, right? You get that panic mode. What? What is this for? And then they go down below instead of what? 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 And then toss it. I get it. It makes so much sense. It really does. Yeah. Todd, what are other tips that you could give educators? Oh, you know, I'm thinking classroom teachers, administrators, superintendents in effectively communicating with families or even their staff on how we can get them to read what we say. Uh, and, and, and again, it's, uh, it's about your words, but, but again, it's, it's, it's not just instrumentally about helping us get through. It's also about being respectful and kind to the recipient. I just want to like, it's not just, and I, I know you got that, but I just, I know that, that I often, I'm so focused on how do we effectively communicate, but it's also just unkind to waste people's time. Um, one thing that you both were alluding to is if it's important to us, we should make it easy for them. If it's important to us, we should make it easy for them. Uh, and so like I worked with one school district that has a Navy base on in it. And, uh, and for those of you aren't familiar, if a kid lives on a base, they're entitled to go to the local public school, but they don't pay property taxes into the local district. But the Defense Department will reimburse the district. But that reimbursement will only happen if the family fills out a form. And, and as you would expect, this ends up being a real problem, uh, but a problem that, that, that is, like, goes to the bottom line for the district. And so working with them, we're like, well, why don't we just pre-populate the form and just have them sign it instead of having to fill it out themselves? And that led to a one-third increase in completing the forms, you know, which is like just if it's if it's important to us, we want to make it as easy as possible for you. Absolutely. And so many times we ask people to go out and find the form. Well, I think you have just drop, I'm not looking for that. It doesn't do me any good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that idea. Make it easy. Uh, another one is uh I did this project with Hetty Chang, who runs Attendance Works, and uh, and Jessica Lasky Fink and Carly Robinson, who are two collaborators of mine, uh, in California. When 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 current uh, Vice President Kamala Harris was Attorney General then, and mm -hmm. working with her and her team 
when she was attorney general, we rewrote the notice of truancy, which is a state mandated form written by lawyers in Sacramento, not even written for humans. It's only written for lawyers. Right. And, uh, and it's oh, written. In a, it's so true. Yeah. I just got oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay. Yes. Lawyers. I'm told lawyers are humans too. Yeah. The, um, the, and so what we did was we wrote, we turned it from 350 words to 150 words, but we also changed the reading level from like college reading level to fifth grade reading level, just like making it as accessible as possible, mm-hmm. which is not just about making it accessible to people who can't read at a college reading level, though, though that too, everybody just re- is more likely to read and reads faster when it's easier to consume. And then we use, and then we did a randomized experiment with 130,000 families in California where when they were eligible, they either got the standard one or the simplified, like written in an accessible in an accessible way one. And we found that when they got the more accessible one, they, they it was 40% more effective uh, at increasing attendance in the subsequent 30 days. Uh, so like the idea is right in, in an accessible way, which is why Everyday Labs, the attendance, you know, organization we spun out of my lab like constantly does these sort of a b testing on like well how do we write in a way that maximizes comprehensibility while also maximizing the impact on attendance and so i guess that gist is like we should also constantly be testing if we can right do you consider people's feelings too i know you said be respectful and kind but um if i'm getting a letter about truancy for my child. Do you think about how the parent feels when they get that letter? Like you're a bad parent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is, does that work into this? It, it does. I mean, we, we're trying to do so that we put in this sort of category of make it relevant and respectful to the yes. recipient. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because the actual first sentence of that, which I wish I had in front of me right now of that notice of truancy, which is a state mandated, like, form and and just to like differentiate i, I the truancy process has incredible like incredible like in in many ways is an engine for exacerbating inequity uh it also is weirdly punitive instead of like an asset based and like in assisting families you're exactly uh, so i and and mm-hmm. when i when i talk about like our research it exists and there are tens of millions of truancy notifications sent home every year as long as they're sent home, they may as well have be written in a way that is accessible and effective. But one of the changes we also made was we we made it much more asset based and talked about how do we help you, like how do we partner because we've have, we've have shared interests. Right. Totally, totally, uh, uh, definitely. That that is. But but in that point, I was just trying to distill was just lowering the reading level really helps. Uh, cutting words really helps. But true that like the certain systems. You know, also, we talk about that study with the police force, like, you know, the escalation for not showing up because you got a, a minor infraction and then the police eventually it accumulates terrible for people. You could imagine rethinking the whole system. Right. And we should. But in the meantime, as long as the system continues to be, you know, chasing down the 53 percent of people who don't show up to court, we may as well maximize the effectiveness of these communications to let people know, at least who didn't even realize when they looked at the document, they're supposed to show up. Right. Simple communication, changes in communication can make a world of difference. Um, And I I think your absentee study is probably one of the most important, probably, because, um, I mean, what is that number that you gave? How many letters go, how many students are truant or 
or absent. That I, by my a, estimate, there were there seventy two million kids, and something like a third end up being like qualifying gosh, for truancy notification. Right. So, but the wow. different states have different rules, and yeah. uh, like in California, there's like three or four of them that go out for the first twelve absences. So you just, I, I mean, I imagine in California alone, there are probably ten million of these that go out. Um, but but that that's not the like the best intervention for reducing absenteeism that we've ever done. Uh, is and I think I showed this to Jerry a while ago that this five to seven rounds of communication that is very asset based, but directing parents' attention to the importance of attendance, but also very carefully like data informed by parents lose track of how many total days their kid has been absent. So they underestimate, yeah, they underestimate my kid has been absent 20 days, I think 10 consistently across districts. We've seen that they. Uh, they reduce absenteeism or um, that they underestimate by 50%. Also, the families of kids who miss more days than their classmates, uh, the vast majority of them think that their kid attends school as much or more than their classmates. They just sort of like, like there's this presumption, which is a, a psychological tendency we call um, false consensus effect, that everybody else shares our views and behaves like us. Uh, and so we've, we found with these, this like repeated rounds of mail and we layer in text though that's not as effective as the mail that that ends up this this sort of program of communication can reduce chronic absenteeism by 15% district wide but it's a very it's ultimately a communications intervention with this sort of like tested aspects of communications so i sort of say that as like the truancy thing is this separate problem and it's a system where it's automated and bureaucratic and very like punitive deficit based um but there's a sort of like parallel like we communicate all the time and it should it should be as effective as possible and sometimes even sort of building in new programs of communication with specific focus folk guy or whatever a focus <laughs> can be more effective yeah yeah um so do you so you take care of like numbers so you're we're better communicating um to uh accommodate what their perception is right so you're giving numbers or graphs or things like that to help them see like where your student falls uh but in i guess what jerry said too in a way that doesn't make them uh feel like they're a bad parent um also i guess do you is there a way to make it not so punitive what is is there a how do you work toward that so so one it, it turns out we've learned from these experiments that uh, so for example, the attendance stuff now happens through everyday labs. They, they ran 19 randomized experiments just last academic year on absenteeism. We're like testing this message versus that, this modality versus that. And, and one of the things we previously learned was, uh, if you end up comparing a kid to, a, like my kid has missed 20 days and you compare me to a, to the class average of three. That's discouraging, and and it ends up being counterproductive because it actually just like I'll never catch up. But if you compare a kid with twenty absences to ninety, a class average or a median of nineteen, then it's actually attainable and actually is it, it, it's it's useful to to add that. So you you there, you only include a comparator if if it's in the sort of sweet spot of achievability, and then you phrase the whole thing as like like we. 
we all are on the same team of wanting the kid to succeed. Clearly something is going on. Here's some resources. And then on the back, there's just like, a, like all these resources that the district offers to, to, to help. Um, gotcha. So, but, but actually We're in this together. Thing, We're in this together. I like that. Yeah. Cause they are, I mean, we all share interest in the kid's success. The one thing that I, that we learned that I would never have thought of um, is I'm used to seeing graphs. Actually, how, when you think of a graph, do you think of it going up and down or side to side? Jamie, I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm, and then I, I, I don't know, like, uh, hopefully up and I'm sorry, down, bar graph, side to side. Yeah. A bar graph. A bar or line graph. A bar graph. Just a bar graph. Oh, yeah, just so, a bar graph, I think. So um, when I think of it, up and down, the bar. Yeah, the bar is up and down. Right. Both of you, I, that's exactly what I, I, that's how we write in papers and that's how we do it. Right. We did a bunch of testing with parents and, you know, normal humans who don't consume data all the time. I mean, you, you, you know, ClassLink, ClassLink is ultimately like very data intensive. You guys are data people. Um, normal humans find it way more intuitive, like horizontal bar graphs, left to right, oh. than, than up down. And, and, and it was... I had no idea. So like after some testing, now all of our graphs go left, right, because they're just easier to understand. Um, but whatever, like there's no underlying That's, key yeah. psychology to that. There's just, it turns out you, we just want to, we just want to communicate in a way that people are ready to consume it. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I think that we, we just think that people know what we know about analytics and looking at graphs and we don't take into consideration that this isn't in their wheelhouse and they don't do this every day. So I think that's really important too. Oh, I do have a specific question. Can I ask, does, if we are using email, does that tagline make a difference if people open it or not? Oh yeah. The subject line? The subject line. Subject line. Um, it, yes, it matters a ton, uh, but there, it, there, ultimately there aren't any like, you should use this. It's oh darn! It's it's there, there, there's so like for example, you know when when I did the politics stuff, uh, the I I started an organization called the Analyst Institute where we were the hub of the left on um, behavioral science and data science, and we we helped the Obama team run experiments, and uh, and one of the things that they learned, and I, this was independent of us, but this is another experiment that they had run internally, was that the, the single subject line that worked best in 2008 for raising money, you guys have probably, I don't know if you've heard this, do you want to guess what the subject line was from, you know, Senator Barack Obama sends you an email, and what's the subject line that led to the most money? Well, I don't know. We need you. Who would his Uncle Sam say? <laughs> uh, that wouldn't be it. It was, hey. Hey, 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 H-E-Y, hey, all the other case, hey, and, and the reason I, well, who knows? I mean, the reason is hard to know with certainty, but at the time, the interpretation was that people weren't like, were like, maybe this is a personal message because the, hey, you only say that to your, to your friends. Close friends. Yeah. yeah. And so it's sort of the, the, for them, the first challenge is uh, capturing people's attention long enough to get them into the message yeah right? right and so in that case you would put quotes around the envelope of the of the email is the sender and subject line mm -hmm. and the envelope has to be compelling enough that they want to go check out the rest and right. in that case they were sort of like hacking 
the fact that we are confused by a subject line that says, hey, and we think yeah. maybe that's a friend. Yeah. But but eventually that became widespread and it stopped being, they, they stopped successfully okay. getting through. And so like the, the point is that there is an envelope around your email, which is the sender and the subject line. And hopefully, and I like, I, I would put, I would take an ethical stand on that your subject line should not deceive about what's in it, uh, but but like you would want people to know exactly what's in it as concisely as possible, and so the subject line is part of that envelope that you want to make it really clear. And honestly, if if they know what's in it and they decide it's not worth reading, like then let then it's good. They weren't going like, to do anything anyway, right? Yeah. But like it, it's we want them to know it. But if they don't want to, like if we say new, pro, no, you know, new testing procedures in the high school, that's a subject line. And then they decide that's not something they want to read about. Like, great, we just saved them the three minutes it was going to take them to read something yeah. they didn't want, to, they didn't care to know. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 even more respectful to make it really clear. And if they're motivated to know it. Let them know we like it's we don't need to be paternalistic and sort of like coerce them to read it. Right, right. I always tend to read the emails that have um, re, so it's as if it were a reply. So I thought, oh gosh, I have to follow up. What is this? And then it's really nothing. But that is a is not. I'm not going to say clickbait, but it definitely draws my attention for sure. That's the right word. I like that word. They, they, clickbait. I was referring to it as a hack, but it's just like the hay. It's confusing yes. you. It's confusing you. And I, yeah. I, I think that that's right. not ethical, but like, like it, as long as the, we are able to tell them what's in it, the yes. reader should be able to decide, is this something that, that's worth their time right now? Hey, this is about blank. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Re, regarding. Re, hey. <laughs> re, yeah. Regarding something you've never seen, but I'm acting like you did, but this is yeah. what it's about. Yeah. Have you done any research on newsletters? From. Um, like teachers, school districts, are those effective? Not. It, I mean, it depends what your goal is, right? So like yeah. it, the, the the newsletters are like, different people are going to have different, like derive value from different aspects of your newsletter. And so it's a very pluralistic objective, mm -hmm. right? Some people will care about homecoming and some people will care about the scholarship you're announcing and some people will care about the principal leaving. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so I like I I don't I think the print the, the big takeaway is everyone is busy. Everyone is skimming. Make it navigable uh, and and basically like really use this lens of how do I respect people's time? Not in addition to because it's kind, yeah, but right. also because it's more effective. I want to like last metaphor. I have a lawyer. We, we bought a house. And so we've like a, we're involving a lawyer, you know, to. Um, for the house. And I wrote an email to the lawyer and it was meandering. Uh, and I, and I immediately like my wife and I like, like edited it and got it much more concise. And I was like, that, well, that guy's charging us by the minute. I do not want to give him anything, <laughs> Good point. anything, yeah. anything, he, anything he does that. But, but, and I was like, imagine if we treated our readers with that level of respect, we're like, mm -hmm. it's like, if we treated readers like we valued every minute of theirs the way we do my overpriced lawyer for a house, right? Then, then we would that we would be a totally different orientation. Yeah. The key information. That's and, a great way to look at point. it. Good point.
Yes. So many nuggets of tips regarding, you know, from the mode to the content presentation. This was enlightening. I, and I just think your research is so intriguing. I love it. I think it's so great. And it's you so have great. a book coming out? Oh. Do you have a book oh, coming out? I've already introduced you to several dimensions of my laziness. So, uh, yeah, busyness, not laziness, busyness. <laughs> we're working on this book. Uh, it, it it will be out next year in 2023. Oh, uh, good. so so, good. but but you know, it it it's it, it uh, it is this underlying science of this with the like really specific principles and checklists. Right. For, uh, oh, good. Very helpful. Yeah, well, we'll have you back on when that comes out. Yes, absolutely. So Todd, we'd like to end our podcast with asking our guest through all of this work that you've done with as Harvard professor, Everyday Labs, what has become clear? That everyone is busy yes. and we should respect them and be kind to them by communicating effectively, which is different than writing beautiful grammatically correct sentences yeah. uh, and essays. Sure. Yeah. Right. Bottom line, it's, bottom line. And it's tricky to do that. Like you said, it does take time, but it's worth it in the end for sure. And is keeping it simple a good way to get started? Uh, sure. Yes. Yes. Keep yeah. it simple. Is it even more concise than my 15 word sentence there? Yes. <laughs> yes. It was uh, a good one. Well, it was a pleasure to have you on. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about Everyday Labs or maybe they would like you to consult with their school district? Where can we for, find For the absenteeism stuff, uh, yes. it's for reducing district-wide absenteeism using programs of communication, uh, Everyday Labs, so everydaylabs.com. For okay. my research, mm -hmm. uh, my Harvard website, uh, if you just search Todd Rogers, uh, Harvard, you'll, you'll get it. The, interestingly, the most famous Todd Rogers is an Olympic volleyball player who won the gold medal in 2008. So you got to add the Harvard part. Otherwise, you get <laughs> otherwise this, we're looking yeah, at volleyball. You get, you <laughs> yes. get this, this six, five ripped guy that I have neither of those things. Um, and then uh, on Twitter uh, at Todd underscore Rogers underscore extra underscore I and, and on Twitter I only communicate about parent engagement and parent uh, parent like asset-based approaches like research on how to help families not not the communication stuff yet yes well one of the things that we have been doing following up our podcast is having our guest on clubhouse are you on clubhouse I don't uh, no, no, no I, I must know. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a million years old. Tell me, <laughs> tell me what. Uh, I've never been on Clubhouse. I've heard, I've heard about it. Right. So it's oh. a, a social platform that we get on. We have our guest on. You're not seen. You're only heard. And people from all over the world really show up. We talk about what the topic is, and then. Uh, people can ask you questions. You can talk about the research that you're doing. And it's usually, it's one hour, but it's usually a great conversation of letting other people ask you some questions that they're interested in. So we'll follow up with you and see if that is of interest to you. And uh, you could try your, your maiden voyage on Clubhouse, maybe. I, would, I look forward to learning about it. Thank you. You right. bet. You Very bet. Good. Well, 
Thank you so much for joining us today. This was great. I have three pages of notes. I know I have all these notes here too. <laughs> so Jamie, our um, communication is going to be so much more effective. Yeah, we got to work on it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, thanks for having me. This is really fun. You Thank bet. You. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to stay linked up, be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify and subscribe to us on YouTube.